1: Plug in and get
0: connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation.
1: Welcome to Talk Travel Asia, episode 40, The Big 4-0, and this one is tantalizing travel tales number three. What makes travel so memorable? Well, many times it's simply visiting a new land, a new culture, experiencing new foods, and seeing exotic animals. Other times it's because we've gotten outside of our comfort zone, testing ourselves with new challenges that we couldn't experience back home. But a sure byproduct of traveling are the great stories we acquire along the way, and the fun it is to share them with others so from bangkok thailand this is scott Coates, and with me as always is my trusty co-host
0: hey scott trevor ranges here on the other side of bangkok
1: hey man yeah we're as a straight line goes we're probably like four or five kilometers apart but uh we couldn't physically get together, so anyway, this is the third of these, and I feel like when I was trying to figure out what to put in this one, that they just get kind of more embarrassing as we go.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I went back and I looked at what we talked about in uh, tantalizing travel tales one and two, and we had some mm-hmm. pretty entertaining stories there. And then for this one, yeah, it was yeah. like, uh, you know, what kind of stories do I want to share? Sometimes they're embarrassing, sometimes they're stupid, sometimes they're bad luck, sometimes they're good luck. You know, that's one of the cool things about traveling. Um, mm-hmm think you know when we share stories that are memorable uh, sometimes they're about amazing cool things that happen to us i think other times they're about when we get outside of our comfort zone uh, we experience unexpected cultural or logistical challenges uh, yeah. and we find ourselves in unusual situations
1: yeah absolutely and uh, i mean some of these aren't quite nightmarish but as one of mine is it's a little embarrassing but i mean Tales are ultimately what I think travels fun. They're remembering things later, and somehow things that were maybe bad or tense, when you look back at them down the road, they're actually funnier or a lot more laid back, I'd say.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I mean, anytime you travel, no matter how much you think you're going to plan for for every possible scenario, uh, things don't really always turn out the way you wanted them to. And sometimes uh, unexpected events can actually make your trip all that much more memorable. Other times, Mm. I think, uh, even if it was was something unfortunate, like I, one of my stories today is, is actually a, quite a, a disaster. Um, I think you, you <laughs> learn something from that. And next time you go out into the field or next time you're, you're traveling abroad, um, you're a little bit more prepared.
1: Yeah, and before we go any further, let's thank our sponsors today. It's Himalayan Trails. They are an outdoor travel company based in Kathmandu, Nepal. They offer fantastic trips in Nepal. They also do a little bit in Bhutan and certain northern parts of India. But if you're looking for a high-quality experience from people that have a real for quality high adventure low adventure um doesn't really matter soft adventure they do it all and thanks to them for sponsoring so trevor uh, who should kick things off here do you think
0: uh speaking of the himalayas why don't you mm. uh start out with the story that happened <laughs> up there
1: okay now i must i'll preface this with saying i thought long and hard about whether i should really share this because it's a bit gross and it's a bit personal but I think anyone that's really done any amount of traveling especially in the developing world has at some time had their guts go wrong in less than opportune situations so that's what this is all about.
0: Yeah, Yeah. you know, I was going to tell a story, too, that was similar, and I decided <laughs> not to because you're you're going to take this one on. Yeah, but one time I, I had a really bad stomach, and I just needed a place to, to lie down. I was up in Chiang Mai, and I ended up mm-hmm. finding this nice bit of grass that I laid on that was filled with red fire ants, and I got attacked by oh. fire ants, and, and I didn't know Ooh. what to do. I was like, it, it it was just the worst. But
1: Well, yeah, mine is, I'm going to call it crap going out and coming in. And, you know, using a toilet was a part of a trip that, inevitably everyone gets some bad guts and sometimes you're in search of one but i in 2006 was with a group of three other friends and we were embarking upon about a three-week trip cycling from Lhasa, tibet to everest base camp on the tibetan side and then onwards into nepal and Kathmandu, being our our final stop um trip was about 15 days of cycling over about three weeks terrain was super remote as you can imagine and, and challenging to say the least we went over five passes which were more than 5,000 meters in elevation and crossing those paths required like twenty kilometer plus ascents over them. Uh, it was often really windy, especially kind of like past ten or eleven in the morning. The air kind of starts to heat up, and then it creates crazy wind out there. Most of it was on uh, gravel type roads, some in really rough shape. Um, the Chinese were actually trying to pave the road before the Olympics in two thousand eight, so there was a lot of road work mm-hmm. going on there. They were trying to seal the road to Everest Base Camp to show how advanced China is. But so we're you know strapped into to mountain bikes for long long days on them and you know it it it, it wasn't as hard as some people like i saw people soloing this thing dragging a little trailer i can't imagine Mm -hmm. that we actually had a crew with us and they set up camp they tore camp down they cooked meals and all that and so so that heart was really nice but so you were camping
0: you guys weren't (laughs) staying in little villages or anything along the way
1: no, no. So like in Lhasa and then a place called Gyatse and one other town, we got a hotel and you really looked forward to those. But the rest of the time, it was uh, camping. Yeah. So we had a truck that would go ahead uh, and they would set up camp. And and then we had a little chase vehicle that would either drive ahead or wait behind with water and stuff. But they they'd set it up. And our longest stretch without a shower was nine days. So like... You know, after a few days, you kind of forget about your stink and whatnot. But let's just say that by the time you get a hotel, like even a so-so hotel and a proper toilet, it's like a luxury. And you actually, like, spend more time on it than you maybe <laughs> ordinarily would. So, you know, about halfway through the nine-day stretch with no sit-down toilet, this is a preface to my uh, my poo story. Um, one of the guys on the trip is each morning you would kind of, you'd be out in these barren, high-altitude areas that are just rock. And you'd always have to try and find a semi private space or big rock to hide behind and and do your business in the morning and one of uh, the guys on the trip he had a bit of a mishap he had bad guts and it was sandstone around where we were and he found a ledge and he kind of put his hands behind him back facing the ledge and leaned on it to get the right angle and and had big diarrhea and actually the sandstone broke and he fell in the pile of it yeah so we passed each other as he was coming back And this was super, super lucky because there was nothing out this way, except for whatever reason, this spot had like a little hot spring center, like a little hot springs of the building, but it was 20 bucks to get in and they had a shower. So he had to pay the $20 to (laughs) go in and get all rinsed off. But this is not the story. It's just setting the tone and getting us used to talking about such disgusting things. So... Further along the track, uh, we'd been to Everest Base Camp. We had two great nights there in our tent and super clear weather. It was awesome. And we were actually on our last day in Tibet. And basically, this is one of the big days we look forward to because you end up dropping, I think it was like, geez, near 2,000 meters that day. And as you're kind of getting close to Nepal, the last little town is this Chinese town. And it's way up on the side of a mountain. And it's just all these buildings built on the side of the mountain. And it it looks really precarious. Like the whole thing could just kind of slide down and wipe itself out. And along this road are are trucks. There's like probably a kilometer, two kilometer line of trucks going both ways, waiting for customs. And between up on the mountain, the Chinese side... And the Nepalese side below is an eight kilometer stretch of dirt road that's kind of like no man's land. So when you leave Tibet, you actually just drop hard on this really rough dirt road that had like little waterfalls going over it and falling onto it. And so we're waiting. We've got our support truck. It's in this long, long queue to get through the border. And we're just sort of all sitting around in our biking clothes. We're waiting. And, I mean, there's lots of people around. There's no real good toilet. And all of a sudden, like man, my, my gut just starts going like it's, it's doing somersaults and I'm, 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 mustering every amount of energy I have to try and hold things in. And then, you know, you start to like almost get cold. Your skin gets cold. You're sweating. Yeah. Yeah. Not feeling good. And all of a sudden like squirt, like some comes out into my tight bike shorts. I'm oh, wearing, you looser <laughs> Yeah. I, I, I'm wearing looser shorts over the tight shorts, but there's something in there. There's not a lot, but there's something in there. And I realized, like, I can't sit in these shorts <laughs> now. In down this it's terrifying. Kind of freeze. Col- well, it wasn't <laughs> that cold, no. But I'm also got like a terrifying eight kilometer. Well, not terrifying, super fun, but rough eight kilometer drop coming up. That I, you know, I want to don't want to be in squishy shorts going down. <laughs> so I sort of I I'm trying to be quiet about it. And I tell the one my one buddy on the trip, and he of course starts laughing. I'm like, I got to find got to find the guide right we got to get the truck and i got to change so through trying to quietly find the truck and all that by the time we actually weave through all these like you know walk between all these stuff vehicles and you're walking everyone on you're, you're doing a yeah, big like bow legged walk yeah it, it was not comfortable and then by that point everyone all, all everyone in my group knows the driver everyone knows what's going on everyone's laughing i get in my bag i grab another pair of bike shorts and there's nowhere to change except right on the edge of this road with all these vehicles and people parked. There's a wall. There's a stone wall that's about a meter high. And it's just on the side of the mountain. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have to like get behind this wall. <clears throat> and I walk behind the wall. And every like I'm still looking at everyone. The wall's just blocking kind of like my, you know, belly button or torso down. And every I'm looking at my friends while I'm trying to change. But behind this wall, there's human turds everywhere. Like turns out It's the wall, the one piece of semi-privacy. Everyone else has gone to relieve themselves. So I'm standing back there in this horrible thing. I get changed. Okay, I think everything's okay. We get through customs, and now begins this thrilling, like, 1,500, 2,000-meter descent down this awesome 8K dirt road. And we're hauling ass down this thing bouncing and my guts are just I'm still at the same time I'm i am clenching hard to try and not have another accident coming down yeah why didn't you just uh, <laughs> make use of that wall
0: when you were back there
1: well there was no more at that moment oh. and there comes a point where you're just hoping yeah you know, the flood, you the flood to stop. yeah, I, I've been yeah you're yeah. praying so so we get to the bottom and it's it's been an awesome descent and there's a little like it's a little stone building which is the immigration into Nepal and we go in and literally just lean our bikes outside up against the wall and go in and hand our passport to this guy. And we're kind of in the middle of nowhere. And there's a, we, he's going to process us all at the same time. So there's a bit of a cue. And as I'm standing there, like my guts heave. I feel like someone's just punched me in the lower abdomen. And it's like I get, I swear in my mind, like a 30 second countdown clock, like something's <laughs> got to give and quick. And this building doesn't seem like the kind of building that's going to have a really good toilet. <laughs> And so I think the guy saw the desperation in my eyes, and he pointed in the direction of the toilet. And I go in there, and, like, I drop, get my shorts off, and it's a squatter. And it literally sprays out of me (laughs) at, like, a 45-degree angle. Each direction, the bowl is laced. Like, there's, like, a a two-and-a-half-foot diameter of just mess. It's everywhere. And then to add to this, there's like only like a trickle of water coming into this receptacle where you would normally take a bucket <laughs> and scoop buckets of water yeah, down yeah. the thing. And I don't want to be a jerk and leave the place like that. But there's just no water to really clean it up either. And I've got a couple sheets of paper and I get myself clean. I realize that I've got to just leave this, this Mess. room the way it is, as if I'd let a shit bomb go. And so I exit and my biggest thing is like, I want to get my passport and get out of here before... You know, someone that works there goes to use the toilet yeah. and then maybe they're just going to reject me and kick me out of the country, right? So <laughs> it works out, the guy hands me my passport and everyone else has got theirs, walk out and I swear as I'm grabbing onto my bike, I see him walk towards the toilet and uh. I just pedaled off as quick as I could and, uh, yeah, he never chased me or anything, but I got to say, it's like, I don't think I've ever entered a country by lacing one of their toilets. Like it's not really the, the nicest thing to do when you enter a new country, but, uh, I mean, I guess it's going to happen to all of us and I'm thankful there was a toilet, but I apologize to Nepal immigration for that, uh, that incident. Yeah, that's so,
0: tragic. Uh, <laughs> so is there any lesson uh, our listeners can learn from, from your tale?
1: I think the lesson is always have some toilet paper with you or or very quickly accessible and you know what a change of shorts just in your bag is probably a good idea too is you never know and uh at least so you could because if I hadn't been able to get in the truck, I really would have been screwed. Yeah. So carry some TP.
0: Well, you know, when I travel to, to remote areas, I, I often bring, like, those little mini bars of travel soap um, just to wash my hands yeah. up afterwards because uh, mm. some of these bathrooms aren't so hygienic. Um, so maybe yeah. even bringing some water in there with you, you would have been saved uh, from a little bit of post-embarrassment. Uh,
1: yeah. Well, leaving—I uh, think we have a quota, no more than one poo story per episode. So leaving that behind, uh, I think you have something called High and Dry on Golden Buddha Island. What's that all about?
0: Yeah, last year when I was updating the new National Geographic Thailand guidebook, uh, I enlisted the help of my friend and former guest from episode number twenty-six, Bodie Garrett. To help right, yeah, Bodhi. Cool, right? yeah. yeah. So he's, uh, great. he's an expert down there in, in the south on the Andaman coast. And I mm-hmm. asked him to, to get me some help exploring the islands of Ranong province, which uh, is right, the right. northernmost province of Thailand on the western Andaman coast.
1: Right. It's, so the northern bit of the southern half, sort of, yeah.
0: Yeah, right, just south of Myanmar on the, the right. Thai side. So uh, okay. Bodhi suggested that I visit Koh Ra and Khok Pratong. Mm-hmm. Uh, And and put me in touch with this woman, Lori, who ran the only resort on the island, uh, the Kulrah
1: Eco Lodge. Wow. She must be a lonely person all out there on her own. Yeah. Well, he just
0: told me today because I I was trying to get some info on her that that the Kulrah Eco Lodge is closed down. The the military owns the island and they decided to, to take it back. Hmm. Um, so she's over on Kot Pratang now. But, okay. but uh, when you're in Ranong province, Ranong town there, they have regular ferries to Kot Payam and Kot Pratong, But as Kot Ra has only the one resort on it, there's not really regular boat service. So Lori right. scheduled her grocery run to the mainland to pick me up. Okay. Um, Ra was awesome. I was the only guest at her resort. So I was the only guest on the entire island. And I put wow. I, I put together a really good uh, album of selfie photos that I used with my self-timer camera. Cool. Um, and I, I stayed a night there. And uh, the next day, Lori uh, h- hired a boat to, to take me over to Ratong so that I could check out the handful of resorts over there, including the Golden Buddha Beach Resort, where I was scheduled to have lunch. Okay. Um, now it's only like maybe a like 30 40 minute boat ride between the two islands and then maybe it was about an hour boat ride and this is with a long tail boat which is like the you know the, the Thai wooden long boat Yeah kind boat. of
1: narrow deep yeah. long with a huge diesel engine blah 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 off yeah. the back yeah yeah.
0: So uh, when I left Koh Ra, Lori advised me to make sure that I was back on the boat and headed back to Renong Town before 4 p.m. Because okay. it's a two-hour drive back to Phuket, and I had a flight back to Bangkok that day. So I was just going over to the island right. to scope it out, have lunch at the Golden Buddha Beach Resort, and then I needed to catch my flight. Mm. Um, so when I got over to, to Koh Tong, she had fixed me up with this uh, Brazilian guy who was doing a, a turtle conservation program over there. Okay. and uh, he was staying in this this housing complex that had been built post-tsunami um, for mm-hmm. people who had been living in the island. But, but this it was strangely abandoned. No one had ever lived in this other than the, the occasional volunteer conservationist. Okay. Um, the island's quite large. Um, so to get from one side to the other, I rode in kind of like the sidecar of a motorbike that they use for, for carting goods around and stuff like that. And then from there, we had to walk along several beaches, you know, an hour or so. Um, to get to the Golden Buddha Beach Resort. Hmm. Um, And
1: so... You're in like a little sidecar on on dirt, kind of broke up roads, I assume? Yeah,
0: just like dirt, sandy trails. And then that that ended at one of these resorts. And then it's just stunning. These beaches are almost completely undeveloped. So you walk like 15 minutes along this one beach, jump in the water, have a swim, get to the end of the beach. There's another little resort there. Um, Then you walk along the beach for another 30 minutes. You get to to the Golden Buddha Beach Resort, which is the only resort on like a 10 kilometer long unspoiled touch of golden sand. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Gorgeous place. Okay. Um, so, you know, I'd love to stay there, and we actually did go back. I brought my parents there several months later, uh, but I needed to, to catch my flight back to Phuket, and it's like a two-hour drive from Ranong to, to Phuket, and it's not a straight road. It's like windy and hilly and whatnot, right? So I'm like, mm-hmm. we got to get back by four o'clock. Um, so we got back just before four, and, and the Brazilian guy let me use the shower um, in in his apartment housing complex thing, um, which is where this this green snake jumped out at me while I was showering.
1: Whoa, and, whoa hang on. So you're in the shower, and a snake jumps. Yeah, at you I don't from know where, where? The, I don't know where the, the, the snake came from, but all of a sudden it like
0: boom, it was like on the ground in the shower with me, and, and I gave a little shriek and like ran out of the shower. You know, like how
1: big was it? Was it thin? Uh, yeah, thick, it was a thin long? little
0: like a green tree snake and. And this Brazilian guy yeah. is like a naturalist, so he grabbed the thing and it was trying to snap at him a little bit. But he's like, "Oh no, it's cute. It's harmless. Uh, we'll put a, <laughs> we'll, we'll put a photo of it up on the show notes so people can have a, a peek at this snake."
1: You don't want a snake anywhere near your own snake. Right? No, Especially that's why you know. It's na- wet. Normally, you know, if you saw the snake, you'd be like, "Oh, cool, a snake." But when you're
0: naked, it's it's an altogether different story. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But it's like four o'clock, and I'm like, "Okay, we got to get on this boat, and we got to get back." Uh, the Brazilian guy is going to come with me back to to the town. Um, so when we get to the boat, uh, our driver had spent the afternoon playing cards and drinking whiskey.
1: Nice, yeah. perfect Which, for a driver. Yeah,
0: and and so he didn't pay attention to the fact that the tide had receded, and the boat uh-huh. was stranded on this muddy riverbank. Like the tide had completely gone out, and, and the boat was completely high and dry in like not quite up to your knee in mud. But when we were walking in the mud out to the boat, it was you know between your your knee and your ankle.
1: Okay. Yeah. Tide is also an important thing for a boat driver to be knowledgeable you about, right? think, right? So, <laughs> yeah.
0: So we waited out there, and, and we, we had to wait for the tide to come up a bit, you know? And, and, uh-huh. and we are like, kind of stomping to, to make a little canal and get some water in there so we can try and, and push the boat out. And we ended up leaving probably a little bit after 5. Ooh. Um, and as soon as we got in the boat and started heading back to the mainland this huge storm comes in it starts pouring rain there's no cover on our long tail boat so
1: and you're on a long tail going back to the mainland yeah
0: so it's windy it's pouring rain we're just getting soaked and, and i'm like great like i don't even know how i'm going to catch this flight um but I, I got back to the car i drove in a rainstorm that was so hard that the, the roads were rivers like when you're going down through a uh, uh, Panga near near Kau Lak and all that like the, the road mm-hmm. was a river I could barely see the front of the car and uh-huh. and somehow I mean I was driving fast because I was like God I don't want to miss my flight but at the same time like I didn't want to die either um, yeah. and somehow I, I managed to make it back to the airport in time to catch my flight
1: yeah dude that's scary I mean the snake bit's scary but then also I mean for people who haven't been on a long tail they're not that big a boat and if you're out in the open seas and I mean you start bouncing up and down you're in a storm man I'd be I'd be bloody terrified like stuff can go wrong pretty quick.
0: Yeah, so it was uh, it was a great day that turned into a quite horrible day. Um, we got some great photos from from us standing in the mud and, and we'll put those up on the show notes as well but yeah, you know, like when, when you're traveling or getting from A to B in Southeast Asia, lots of times it's never going to take as quick as anyone ever tells you it's going to take. And and Laurie was right to be back there at 4 Sharp because uh, had we not, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, we were there and we didn't leave on time, but um, things really never do go as planned. Uh, so what was a lesson
1: learned, I I don't know what the lesson
0: learned here was. I, I think the lesson learned was prepare for, for the worst and uh, always give yourself enough time to, to to check in to your flight and you know.
1: One I would say is, I mean, and this isn't always possible, right? But if uh, if you're on an island, try not to maybe fly that day too, right? Because anything could happen with weather and you don't want to ever have to feel pressured to get in a boat and hit the high seas like if conditions are anything less than very good, right? So maybe Try and like overnight it on the mainland before you're going to fly. Yeah. I mean, in general, like
0: when I went back with my parents, we gave ourselves several days on each island and you take some time to enjoy it. I was working, so I was running around like a madman. But, uh, yeah, just assume that things are not going to go as planned and and be flexible. You know, like don't stress out. If you miss your flight, it's not the end of the world. It's it's much better than, than driving dangerously.
1: Yeah, the loss of a $100 ticket or whatever is not worth your, your life. No. And that's a good one. Naked with a snake and the boat and the storm and driving in the storm <laughs> and all in one. It has it all. Yeah. Well, I'll, uh, I'll jump in with something. It involves transport as well, Trevor. But this one we're going to call Mumbai Car Chase. Yeah. And uh, it was 2012. And I went to Mumbai, India for my first time to update a guide map for a company called Groovy Map. I'd done a few of their maps. Oh, in Laos and Cambodia, and I think I might have done, oh, geez, maybe a Seoul, Korea one, but I went to Mumbai, and uh, I was a bit surprised, you know, like... Had you been there before? No, I'd never been to India. It's the only place in India, and I hear that Mumbai is a lot kind of more developed and cleaner, but, you know, I was quite surprised by how friendly the people were. It was a lot tamer than I expected. Food was good. I was just generally a bit more comfortable than I thought I'd be. I was kind of prepared for the worst, you know, ready to be dealing with super crowds and dodgy people and just extreme levels of dirt but yeah it, it been it been pretty good and like i want to preface this by saying you know i've been in this region now 16 years so back then it was about 12. and i knock on wood still to this day i've never really had a dangerous situation or been in a situation that didn't feel safe and this is probably the only one but uh you know i headed out early one evening to check out this trendy area called bandra and bandra is in the northern part of the city Uh, Has a lot of restaurants and bars. So I had to go around and and check out the bars and restaurants that were on the map to make sure they were still open, they were still good, and then source some new ones to include on the map. And uh, that day it had been kind of rainy, so it was like really muggy and wet. And I'm a guy that gets a bit carsick. And if you add into that equation, like hot, muggy, wet in a car for me is just like bad, bad, bad. And in Mumbai, there's various taxis you can take, and, and they differ in meter rate a bit, but you can get just one with no aircon, a nicer car, one with aircon, and I went out with no aircon, and I I mean, I wasn't feeling very good by the time I got there, so it was in my mind. I'm like on the way back tonight. I'm definitely I got to get an aircon car because I I just don't want to feel sick. Yeah, so. sometimes
0: you want to splurge.
1: Yeah, and and looking back, like, it was probably the difference of, like, three bucks or something. Who knows, but it wasn't much. So I go out, and I have some food, and have a few drinks. And it's maybe been about four hours, and I decide, you know, it's it's after midnight. It's time to head back to the hotel. So I find a taxi, which was a little hard because it had rained just before, but it had stopped raining. And I find a guy who looks like he's in his... Mid 20s, and he doesn't really speak English. But I, I the, the key point here is I'm like, aircon, aircon. He's like, yeah, 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 and agree on a price. And I get in the car, and just like after less than a minute, it, 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 I realize there's no aircon. This guy doesn't have it. Like, it's and and i'm just like there's no way I'm, i can't do this i cannot do this 30 minute journey and feel sick so right away i, I just kind of say to the guy like hey no aircon like stop 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 makes a bit of a funny face anyway i give him a little bit of money and i get out of the car i think it's pretty clear that like hey the key point here was i gotta have aircon and uh, i know i sound like a spoiled tour <laughs> it was just the way it was just the way it was that night so i get out and uh, i maybe walk 10 or 15 meters behind his car because i see another taxi and uh There's the driver. He's probably in his 60s, seems like a nice guy, definitely got air con cars, nice and cool, agree on a price, get in. And after driving about 200 meters, the taxi driver kind of mentions to me that the cab I was in is now driving behind us. Uh Yeah. So I kind of and it's dark, right? Like it's dark. It's nighttime. I'm in India and my driver speeds up a bit and the, the guy speeds up. And now there's two lanes. In each direction and the first taxi now like wheels up beside us and is kind of like yelling stuff at my taxi driver and pointing to me and and my driver's kind of like oh this guy's kind of a bad dude he's a little crazy and you know the car goes behind pulls upside keeps like kind of telling the driver to pull over and i'm telling my driver i'm like just keep going <laughs> yeah. just keep going like yeah we're not going to stop and have a conversation about this so it then gets to the point where this taxi Wheels out ahead of us and kind of tries to stop and block our way in front of us I'm like thinking oh my god like now I'm getting involved in a car chase here So I tell my my driver. I'm like hey turn around turn around if you can so my driver pulls a u-turn Meanwhile this car that's blocked us is now getting honked up by all kinds of cars because he's blocking traffic and mm-hmm. blocking down the road so he wheels around too though and now he starts following us right so speed's picking up a bit this guy's honking his horn he's flashing his lights like he's getting really close to the back so you think he's going to end up here ending us and as we get up towards an intersection um the car wheels in front of us again and stops sideways in a way that we like can't continue on now now we're blocked and my driver kind of you can tell he feels bad for me and he's a little scared now like he he's like just probably like me like what the hell's going on right this guy's a bit of a nutter i'm now his car is now blocked and i'm sort of like who and and he just kind of indicates that i got to talk to this guy right so i'm like oh man what are we gonna do so the car my car is right up against the curb and this driver's at the door more or less so Mm. i i like get out of the cab but i don't like so i'm like standing there facing the sidewalk and my back's right against the car and this taxi driver looks like furious he's furious he has a crazed look in his eye he's kind of he's sh- trembling a little bit he's got his he's tensing his hands and i'm literally thinking like wtf right like what's going to go down here and i remember like, you're not really having a conversation because the guy doesn't really speak english mm. but he keeps telling me like you get in my car you get in my car and I'm thinking, like, come on. like,
0: In the truck. Like, or back? Yeah, <laughs> like,
1: you chasing us and cutting us off the road, and you think I'm going to get into your taxi? Like, not a chance. So, like, he's, like, in my car, you in my car. And I'm going, like, no, I do not have to go with you. And I remember making a really clear decision because I thought – well, I I don't want to get in any kind of fight or any altercation. I also thought he might have, like, had a weapon or something because he couldn't really see one of his hands. Mm. So I'm, like, looking at him the whole time, waiting for him to, like, hit me or strike me with something. But I also realize, you know what, I've got to, I think the best tactic here is to be firm and raise my voice a Mm. bit. Like, not amp it up in a way that leads to a fight, but just in a way that shows, like, I'm really confident, like, kind of like yelling at a bear, right? So (laughs) I just sort of start going like no no i don't have to get in your car like you yeah. get in your car you go leave leave yeah but this guy the way he's looking at me i'm sure something's gonna happen and Then he, finally, he lost a fare right he lost a fare but he got a bit of money and like there's no reason for it to go to this thankfully two people finally stop like there's people all around no one stops and these two guys sort of stop and just look like stand there watching this exchange and i'm thinking well at least i've got a a witness now if something goes off they can pull this guy off me but it seemed like 10 minutes and it was probably no more than two but finally i just took out a, a couple bills and i put my hand out and i say you take this you take it and leave and he and he keeps telling me to get in his car but i mean he's giving me the death stare i just give him the firm death stare back he finally took the money walked to his taxi got in and we get in my cab and i asked the guy like can you still drive me where i need to go right i'm scared this guy's gonna ditch me the nice taxi yeah. driver and when we drove off i remember like looking through the rearview mirror thinking or, or sorry out the back window just thinking please don't start falling this please don't start falling yeah. this. and it was like the longest 500 meters i've ever had in a car because i just thought the guy was going to start and he didn't and uh, and i got home fine in the end but like was really the only time in all my travels where I really thought, you know, I was in a bit of danger and safety was going to be a concern. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
0: it's interesting you say that, too, because, uh, I mean, that's some good advice or a lesson learned that our listeners can take away from that is you got to be careful with some taxi drivers. Because I I find Southeast Asia and Asia at large generally much safer than, like, an American city, let's say. Um, But but taxi drivers are some of the people you got to watch out for sometimes.
1: Yeah, and you know, in hindsight, like, I, I honestly, I don't think I was being a dick about getting out of his car, and I also thought I had made it very clear, like, why, yeah. and that it was reasonable, and I gained a little bit of money, but, you know, in hindsight, I think if you're in a weird country, like, you don't want to be bullied by a driver, because they'll bully you and scare mm, you to try sure. and get money, but maybe at the same time, like, I'm thinking here in Thailand, like, if you really did get a car you're not comfortable with, yeah, just... Give him whatever you think the full fare would have been and ask nicely to get out. Like, maybe even pretend you got a problem with your guts or something. Like, again, these fares aren't a lot of money. It's worth handing over that amount and just getting out of the car, right?
0: Yeah, because you never know. And, and, I mean, obviously, that's pretty strange what happened. Maybe it wasn't just about the money. You you know, maybe his pride was hurt. You know, he... I don't know. uh, Who knows, right? But, uh, yeah, yeah, you you do have to be careful with with cabs uh, when when you're driving around uh, because you never know about some of these guys.
1: Yeah, well, that's three down. Why don't you uh, lead us into our fourth and final tale? Yeah, you know, I wasn't sure what to,
0: to tell. And, and it's funny because I, I told this story at, at Bombix, which is a storytelling contest of sorts here in Bangkok. And, okay. and that was a night when they needed someone to, to fill in for someone who was late. And I didn't know what story to tell that day. And, and this one's interest, interesting just because this is a story about sharing stories that you would never tell anyone else. Um, OK, so I, I can't tell you the story that I wouldn't tell anyone else, but I will tell you the story about why I told people the story that I'd never told anyone else
1: that we're not going to hear today. Yes, <laughs> if that okay. makes any
0: sense. So Lay it on us. this was back uh, in Queenstown, New Zealand, right after I graduated from college. Uh, yeah. We had worked at the ski fields down there, me and my friend Brian. And oh, cool. uh, in the spring after that winter, Uh, We had not yet been out to Milford Sound, which is one of the top natural tourist attractions uh, on the South Island. Uh, So after a little bit of research, we discovered that we could take a a boat across Lake Wakatipu, which Queenstown is on. And from Mm -hmm. the other side of the lake, we could do a multi-day trek uh, across these mountains. And then a car could pick us up on the other side and then take us on to Milford Sound. Wow, cool. Um, and this is where they filmed, like, the movie Willow back in those days. So, like, Willow is, is you know, it's it, anyone who's seen Lord of the Rings, it's like Lord of the Rings scenery. It's just this beautiful New Zealand countryside National Park uh, mountains, right? So Brian and I, okay. along with two Canadian guys and a girl from New Jersey that, that the Canadian guys invited along, we went to the National Park office to get the lowdown on trekking a- across these mountains. Um, okay. A- on the morning that we were set to depart, the rangers advised us against doing the Rootburn track, uh, which is the trail that we wanted to do. As uh, that trail crossed a mountain pass that might be getting a bit much spring snowfall, and they thought maybe the pass could be impassable. And they advised us to do this other track called the Capels track, which uh, stayed at a uh-huh. lower altitude. Yeah. Um, so as it was raining... Um, and we didn't all have like great rain gear. You know, we had like moderate rain gear, but they hooked us up with these bright orange survival bags, uh, which we converted into rain ponchos. And, and these survival okay. bags are awesome. I mean, they had printed on the side of them how to build a shelter, how to start a fire, how to make whip snares to, to catch animals in the event that you get lost out in the oh, wilderness, wow. yeah, which is a little bit of foreshadowing for you here. Um, so the rain broke a bit as, as the boat, took us across the lake and dropped us off. And we set out along the trail, walking for maybe an hour or so before we came to a fork, which we believed to be the one that that split from the root burn to the Caples Track. So we set down the Caples Trail, or what we thought was the Caples Trail. But after a while, that trail seemed to be difficult to follow. So we doubled back to the intersection uh, where we had a bit of a discussion. And then we voted, and we decided that, you know, I'm from Vermont. Brian's from Utah. The other guys are Canadian. We should be capable of handling the root burn route. Um, Sure.
1: Listen to the Canadian guys, too. Yeah, because
0: that branch seemed to be more well-trodden. So a a little while later, walking along that, that fork... Uh, we came along the actual split between the two trails, the one that actually had signs saying this way to ah. root burn, this way to Caples. Now we had another discussion and another vote, and since we had already convinced ourselves that we could do the root burn trail, we decided to go ahead and do the root burn trail after all. Okay. So at this point, it's worth noting that when we were at the ranger station, we had to sign a book. Stating what our names were, what day it was, and what trail we intended to walk along so that if for any reason we didn't end up at the destination that we wanted to, they would come looking for us.
1: Right. Okay.
0: A little bit more. So you've now screwed that up right at the start. Yeah. We're we're just off the the intended path. Um, No one knows where we're going. Okay. okay. So as we walked, I mean, the scenery was spectacular. We were in the, the Willow movie set, you know. Uh, it mm-hmm. was beautiful. The trail was generally unchallenging. Uh, we had to cross one river by, uh, by walking along a, a felled tree. But otherwise, it was pretty smooth okay. sailing for the first half of the day. Um, we even yeah. passed a couple of guys going the other way. And they had come over the pass that morning and said that there was about ankle-deep snow, but that the pass was, was pretty easy to get through. Okay. Okay. So after we left those guys, uh, the weather took a turn for the worse, and the rain started coming down a bit heavier. Um, so mm-hmm. when we, we got to the, to the cabin we were supposed to send the first, spend the first night, maybe around 3 pm, uh, we made the decision that we should push on that day, and attempt to get to the second cabin, which was on the near side of the pass, so that when we woke up in the morning, we could get a fresh start on the pass um, so that should it prove impassable, we could always go back to, to the cabin and, and spend the night there, a second night, right. which is where we were supposed to spend the second night.
1: Okay. If we yep. were
0: supposed to go that way, which we weren't even supposed to be going, right? Okay. Yeah. So the dark fell before we got to the second cabin and, and the path uh-huh. that we were walking on had turned into a stream because the, the range has continued to come down. And when we arrived mm-hmm. at the cabin, we were pretty well soaked through. I mean, just the boots soaked because you're walking through like a, a river, basically, you know? Yeah. And, and when we got inside the cabin, everything was damp and, and we found it impossible to start a fire. I mean, we could, mm-hmm. we could get some paper burning, but we, there was no dry wood kindling or anything like that to, to get a fire going. <sighs> um, so, you know, and, and it's getting quite cold. I mean, we're, I don't remember what elevation we're at, but it's, it, it was near freezing, By the time, you know, like 9 p.m. rolled around. And we found out that the one Canadian guy, the guy from Toronto, and the girl from New Jersey had inferior sleeping bags. They didn't have anything suitable for for camping at this temperature. Oh. Yeah. So that night, we decided that we should all cuddle together to to use our collective body warmth um, to keep the the two warm who were unprepared. And we discussed our options for the next day. Uh Uh-huh. Since we couldn't start a fire the next day we would be walking through snow that's at least ankle deep likely much deeper considering the rain that was coming down on us and the snow that was probably coming down in the pass. In um, wet shoes yeah so that put us at risk of frostbite um and, mm. and you know somebody conceivably could lose a toe depending on like how cold it was and how how long we spent walking through snow and wet boots um option two was that we could go back the way that we came Um, but then we had to worry about the river that we crossed earlier which was likely to be much more difficult to cross because of the you know the increase in in water coming down the mountain and then even if we got back to the trailhead we were dropped off by a boat and it would probably take us another two days to walk around the lake maybe longer um, at which time the people who were going to pick us up would realize that we weren't there and then report us missing and then they would have to go looking for us
1: yeah Okay, this is not a good
0: situation. So option C was that we stay put, right? Because we were technically a day ahead of schedule. We were camping the first night where we would have camped the second night. So maybe the following day we could get a fire started, we could dry our boots out, and then we could try the pass the the, the, the day after that when we would be back on schedule. Um, The only only hitch with that one is that if the storm continued to get worse, it could conceivably even snow where we were if we couldn't get a, a fire started. Like spending a second night out there, in, in the wet and the cold was probably not a good idea, especially because if we got, like, pinned down by a storm, the National Park Rangers wouldn't even know where to look for us. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So none of those options were ideal. And and while we recognized that, you know, we were probably going to be okay, we realized that we put ourselves in a situation where something could go wrong. Like, we, we could have, like, some sort of life-threatening situation, yeah. you know? it's
1: definitely how things go um, wrong. Right.
0: So, so it was that night all cuddled up together trying to keep each other warm that, that we shared secrets that none of the other had told anyone else ever before. Uh-huh. Now, I think when I told this story at Bombix, at this point, I should have told my friend's secret, which is a great one. Um, of course, I can't do that now because this is going to go on the internet, and, 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 and I don't know if he wants to share that, um, but right. it's a doozy. Maybe I'll tell you after, after this. But show. you
1: guys all decided to share one story you hadn't told anyone else just in case this was the last... Yeah, just in case, uh, you know, and,
0: and also just to bond and, and loosen the ice and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. So anyway, the next morning uh, was actually a pretty nice day. So we decided that our best plan of action was to go back uh, to, the, to where the boat dropped us off. Um, and it was beautiful. You know, walking back on, uh, along the, the trail was, was wonderful. We are in Lord of the Rings, willow country. So, so it was actually quite a, a pleasant hike. Um, and then when we got back to the lake, we found an old farmhouse that was not only unlocked, but had an operating phone. No one was living there, but the phone still worked. So we were able wow, to, that's crazy. I know. And and I don't even know how we managed to like, remember the phone number or just, you know, it's New Zealand. You just dial the operator and you'd be like, Hey, give me the national park uh, center there. So we were able to get the boat come back and pick us up, and uh, they they didn't freak out. They didn't think it was weird or anything, and, uh, you know, Kiwis are pretty laid back. And then we met some guy back at the ranger station who was getting information about going to Milford Sound, and and he had a car, and he drove us around, and uh, we ended up having a a pretty good adventure. Wow. But uh, I think, uh, you know, that was one of the scarier times I've had traveling.
1: Yeah, I mean, being in the outdoors, obviously, it's classic, you know, conditions can change real quick. And, and you always hear stories of someone getting lost or something bad happened to dying. You're always like, how could that happen? But I think you've just kind of illustrated how a couple things changing, and maybe a wrong decision can quickly lead to something really bad.
0: Yeah, I think too many stories like ours don't end in happy endings. Usually when you see that, like, 127 Hours or something like that, you know, that movie. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, people make poor choices. Uh, We are obviously not prepared. Uh, You know, now, I mean, that's like I was saying in the introduction. Sometimes you learn things from... Uh, your experiences, like if you if you know it's going to rain, you got to be prepared for rain. If you know there's a chance you're going to be traveling through snow, you got to be prepared for this. If if you know you're camping, you know find out like, do I need kindling? Should I bring some kindling? You know stuff like that. The, those survival bags had some really useful information, but they didn't mm-hmm. have anything to to help us in this
1: situation. Yeah, well, that's a that's a good story, and I'm obviously glad it turned out all right. Well, man, those were those were different, really four different stories and uh fun to recall them and uh yeah cool who knows maybe we will have to have uh tantalizing travel tales 4 at some point
0: i think for tantalizing travel tale 4 we should go a little bit more upbeat let's talk about fortuitous things that have happened to us
1: okay yeah when we get to that spot we can have it but uh yeah awesome thanks for sharing the stories trevor and uh, this is scott coates saying thank you for listening we'll be back with uh, another episode in two weeks yep thanks
0: for listening everybody thanks for joining me again scott and uh we'll see you in two weeks all
1: right thanks for joining us on talk travel asia we look forward to sharing with you again soon hey scott do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall of